Hey everybody, welcome back to AWM Insights. It's Brandon and Justin, and as you know, this is a podcast for our clients. We discuss relevant topics in the private and public markets, while also tackling a broader investment lesson. Today, we're going to dig into the power of the integrated financial structure, really a tantalizing tagline there, but uh, you will all get into to more of what that means and the power of it. But before we do, Justin, why don't you hit on uh, what's going on in the markets? Yeah, so markets continue to, to struggle as of late. A lot of that is largely due to, to what's going on with the Fed. So the, the Fed or the Federal Open Market Committee, to be specific, just met for the last time this year. And they meet over a two-day period and then release a statement. Leading up to that, there's been a lot of headlines. I'm sure most people have seen that that they're getting a little bit more aggressive with respect to their, their stance on what they call tightening within this new interest rate cycle. And this, this most recent meeting certainly continued that. Their pivot to be a little bit more hawkish is the term you'll, you'll see. Just means that they're going to be more aggressive in pulling back their supportive policies and potentially increasing interest rates. So that's been a a big factor and big variable that the markets are really trying to digest over the last three, four weeks. Chances are we're going to have the the third negative week for the S&P 500 over the last four. We're recording this on Friday. Don't know what the market will close at exactly. But yeah, there's just there's a lot of this year end information that that the market's really trying to digest kind of get into that year end planning aspect of that topic. And this is this is a global global phenomenon. Central banks are really stepping up trying to get at least ahead of the inflation narrative. In most cases economists around the world do think that inflation is has kind of peaked or will peak in the next couple quarters. There's no crystal ball, not saying that that's what we believe, you know, you know us, we don't try and predict the future, but from a narrative standpoint, central banks are really trying to get ahead of this. Um, one of the more positive items around this, and then I'll move on from the esoteric world of Fed central bank policy, is throughout their statements, the the pandemic has become less and less of a concern and issue. And you're kind of seeing that in the Omicron data so far, at least what I'm seeing, that the the case severity is less, which hopefully sticks and continues and, and you know we continue to get out of this pandemic. On the crypto side, or really more specifically blockchain, so we talk, we've talked a lot about blockchain crypto earlier in the year. And I think we touched on it last week, but this is a really cool kind of tangible picks and shovels where where I'm excited to see this whole new industry go is HSBC, a bank and Wells Fargo. They've agreed to settle their paired currency trades on the blockchain. What does that actually mean? Basically, it means that they can trade currency, whatever that currency may be, incredibly efficiently. It's cheaper for them to trade currency between each other as opposed to paying the higher fees that they used to do. You're going to continue to see innovations like that on the blockchain really drive efficiencies within financial markets and within within many, many uh, different spaces. That is it's the same technology that cryptos exist on, but it's different than cryptocurrency. And I, again, we talked about the picks and shovels approach, and that's that's a perfect example of it. Moving on, Reddit, which certainly made headlines earlier in the year as, the, as a source for crazy meme stock frenzy, is going public at some point probably in the new year. 
Build Back Better, the big milestone Biden legislation, doesn't look like it's going to pass before Christmas. He's not He's not going to get a, a, a nice Christmas present. Might be getting coal in his stocking, I guess, if you want to think about Those it that coal way. coal miners from West Virginia holding it up for him, you know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then The Boss sold his music catalog for a half a billion dollars. That That is a substantial amount of money. Continuing a, a trend with these, these incredibly talented musicians with incredible music catalogs, trying to really capitalize in on that phenomenon. And then just kind of fun fact of the year, the Impossible Cheeseburger was Grubhub's top order of the year with plant-based uh, meal more than 5Xing from last year which is a pretty amazing statistic. Uh, it will be fascinating to watch that trend, see if that thing that continues going on. So you hit on a lot of good stuff there, Justin. Before we dig into kind of today's topic, I'd love to even hit on, you know, you talked about the Fed kind of coming out and, you know, discussing inflation, interest rate projections, et cetera. And I actually heard this morning on, I think it was an NPR segment, uh, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, even talking about, he has no real idea and will be judged five years from now on whether we made the right move. So, you know, I think it's just another good evidence of when we talk about these projections of where interest rates are going, even some of the smartest, best in the world have no idea that they need to make some predictions because they have to take actions and you have to make some assumptions. However, it just to me, it showed how incredibly difficult it is to to predict where markets are going to go or or where interest rates specifically are going to go so great point and they do have to predict because it is their job to do that but i do think just to to touch on my thought from that which you're alluding to the most important aspect of that is they have the humility if you will or the appreciation that there is uncertainty out there and they know that they're not going to predict this with with any, well, I shouldn't say with any certainty, but they know that there's an element of uncertainty that that eludes them. And and it's, you know, I don't know, it's healthy to think that way and have that approach. Yeah, I think the, the fantastic part or about that, right, is the humility. If we could only get some of the CNBC or Fox News <laughs> uh, talking heads to adopt some of that humility and not, you know, old Kramer doesn't talk in his absolutes, it'd be pretty amazing. But Anyways, back to the topic at hand, really this integrated financial structure. And what do we mean by that? We've talked about it throughout the year, but it's really pairing, you know, your entire net worth. You have one effective tax rate, you have one net worth, but it's it's really looking at it, making decisions with that in mind. And, you know, this really came to came to the forefront here when we we're talking you know, before this about what, what do we address today? And it's, there's talks on many podcasts coming from many different angles, end of the year, what should we be doing? And you made a good point. You know, the real telltale sign is if this is the first time you're talking about these things this year, you probably uh, didn't do it appropriately. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff flying around. We are going to talk about some of the things uh, that you should be considering, you know, that you're going to hear this time of year from other people. But again, with the under, it worth really emphasizing that if this is the first time that you're starting to think about these things, you you probably missed out. And so you need to to start a little earlier next year. So maybe this is even like the kickoff for 2022 is better appropriate for this uh, discussion. But Justin, maybe hit on, you know, what are some of the things people are going to hear as we head into the end of the year, but really should be covered throughout the year? 
Yeah, I, and I would underscore plan, planning is a, a an ever-present item. It's not just something that you wait till the last minute on. If you're doing that, to your point, Brandon, you're probably missing out. I mean, you should still be doing these things, but yeah, you, you've probably missed out on being getting a little bit more ahead of these things throughout the year. So a lot of the common topics, um, Roth conversions. Does it make sense to take your IRA assets and put it into a Roth IRA? pay taxes on that conversion and but realize the benefit of tax free what becomes tax free growth in the Roth over time that's a big topic but again that doesn't have to wait till the end of the year that but that is obviously a big topic that's coming up especially the non-deductible stuff right Justin I mean we should be operating on a more effective calendar if we're waiting till the end of the year to make some of those decisions really losing out potentially on some time opportunity there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, yeah, time value of money. Then one thing that is unavoidable at the end of the year, uh, just by the way of how mutual funds are, are managed is if you're a mutual fund investor, what typically happens towards the end of the year is just due to the legal structure of a mutual fund, they are required to pay out their net realized capital gains within that fund. That is a taxable event to investors that are holding those in taxable accounts. And so working around those capital gain distributions, getting ahead. Okay, you know, we plan sometime in November, we capture all the estimates that are happening. And then does it make sense to try and avoid that distribution? Do you does it make sense to sell out of that mutual fund to avoid the distribution, go into an ETF that wouldn't make a distribution, and then buy it back 31 days later, as an example. So those are those are analysis. That's a set of analysis that we do towards the end of the year. Yeah, take a little tangent there for me, though, Justin, too, because what we also see is, you know, if you're not integrating your finances, you end up in some of these, you know, maybe what causes the cap gains distributions, right? Turnover in funds, et cetera. I mean, some of these active funds, I mean, it's absolutely mind-blowing what's happening at this time of year. So it's a little bit of a tangent, but it is, I guess, kind of that integrated approach throughout the year when you're making investments, you should be considering what might happen towards the end of the year. Oh, no, no doubt about that. And and that's, that is one of many rubs against actively managed mutual funds where, to your point, Brandon, I mean, some of these that I've seen are north of 11% distributions where you're paying taxes on that, again, if you're holding it in a taxable amount, amount or account, excuse me, whether you want to or not. And if you're not paying attention, you're just going to get that tax bill at the end of the year. And and it's it could be substantial. In some cases, these are short-term capital gains distributions as well, not long-term capital gains distributions. So it gets exactly to your point that paying attention to tax efficiency is incredibly important. And funds, pooled investment vehicles that disregard that because you know whether they just don't take it into consideration, they're actively managed, they have a ton of turnover, that takes away from your rate of return. They don't have to quote that, I mean, this is the the unfortunate side of this is it's it's hard to quantify. It's I shouldn't say it's hard to quantify. It's actually not hard to quantify. The math is actually quite straightforward. But the way reporting is required, performance is required to to be done. No one ever really sees the true bottom line impact of that. You can find it if you dig into certain research databases and whatnot, but it's just, it's not front and center. And it's unfortunate because it truly pulls from your 
bottom line rate of return, which feeds into your effective tax rate. It feeds into your single net worth as well. And if you're not thinking about those, you are leaving money on the table. Yeah, no doubt about it. And what about our favorite end of the year? Because apparently everybody just starts to think about tax loss harvesting at the end of the year. But dig into that. Like why? I mean, why is that a mistake? <laughs> well, again, not, not necessarily <laughs> not a mistake, mistake but, but you're 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 potentially missing out. I think 2020 last year, not this prior year, is a great example where you it's something you want to be looking at throughout the year because let's go back to 2020 again using that as an example. March of 2020, COVID reared its ugly head, economies around the world shut down, markets had no clue what was going on. No one really did, right? There's all of a sudden this, you know, we've talked about uncertainty and markets not liking that. All of a sudden this huge increase in uncertainty around the world, markets plunge down over 20% in some cases. That's a perfect time to tax loss harvest. If you're not taking advantage of that in the moment, again, you're leaving money on the table. And Using a dyna dynamic trading system allows us to do that, where we're constantly looking at opportunities unique to each and every investor in their portfolio to take advantage of that. It's not, hey, it's December 15th, let, let's run a report and see where gain and losses lie on that arbitrary day. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's silly. Again, with the cap gain distribution, yeah, maybe that analysis makes sense. But if you're not doing this throughout the year on a consistent basis, you're likely leaving money on the table. And kind of what the underlying message I'm starting to hear as you walk through some of these things is, you know, it's also incredibly uh, complicated at times to to take all these different factors into place. And I think that's where the integration comes in is, you know, if you're having to individually coordinate with your CPA and go find out what your personal tax situation is, now you're talking to your investment guy and then some people have a separate financial planner. And then, I mean, you can just imagine what gets dropped or what, what falls through the cracks in that process. But even when you have an integrated team, it's this is the power, right? It's being able to to look through these things, discuss these things, think about the entire year and really proactively plan. One piece related to that as well is when your team is is segmented, chances are one element there doesn't appreciate planning or doesn't understand what the other is doing. I mean, that's that's what you're getting at with with integration, but it's I can't tell you how many times I've heard in the past where we come across a client with, oh yeah, here's my advisor, here's my tax guy. They don't talk or my tax guy thinks our advisor is doing a bad job because he sees losses on, on the 1099. And you're like, well, no, those were tax loss losses that were harvested. Your actual rate of return, your end portfolio value is is positive, but that benefited you from a tax perspective. And yet the the CPA, the, the tax prepared doesn't capture or understand that or appreciate that uh, that concept. So again, you know, the left hand not talking to the right hand uh, can really hurt you at times. Totally. No doubt about it. Well, let's end on one thing that I think certainly this season drives people towards a, a gift mentality. We would hope that you're doing this throughout the year. But 
One big piece of advice I think most people have very little knowledge of or don't think about is gifting in a very effective way. And and one way we want to highlight is just donating appreciated assets. And I mean, Justin, maybe even hit on, you know, I think some people get paralyzed by, I don't know where I'm going to gift throughout the year, et cetera. But there are vehicles like donor advised funds out there. But what what is the power of giving, donate, you know, donating appreciated assets as opposed to just cash? Great question, great topic. And to your point, I think really, really underappreciated, unfortunately. But to your, answer your question specifically, I mean, j- just think about it this way. Say you, you have a, a fund or an investment. It could be a stock. It could be a mutual fund. It could be an ETF. Highly appreciated. Instead of selling that, realizing the gain, taking the cash and giving it to a charity of, of your choice, what you can do is take some equivalent share amount that, you know, represents the value or dollar amount you want to gift, whatever it may be, $10,000. You take those shares, you gift those shares directly. So not only do you get a tax deduction based on the value of that gift, you're also eliminating the need to ever pay taxes on that appreciation, on that gain as well. So it's a, it's a, you know, I don't, it's a triple benefit, right? It's a benefit to the charity. It's a benefit to you because you get a deduction, and it's also a benefit to you for not having to pay taxes, right? There's kind of two tax benefits there. To your point on, on, oh, I don't know where to give or you know what vehicle. Like the donor advised fund is a phenomenal vehicle for, I mean, arguably almost any size of gift. It it makes sense for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, in my opinion, um, and really can compete with people who are thinking about foundations at that level, just because of the flexibility, low cost, ability to still manage it, et cetera, et cetera. But it also works for people who are giving small amounts, a couple thousand dollars or or something around that. And essentially what it is, is a donor advised fund. And there there are many of them out there. You know, the big custodians have have options. There's also independent companies that, that are out there. But what it is, is the donor advised fund itself is a charity, is technically a 501c3. So when you gift those shares, in the perfect example, into that donor advised fund, you're getting a tax deduction at that point in time. But what's really cool is that it goes and then sits in a a dedicated account, if you will, within that donor advised fund, within that 501c3, and you get to recommend or you get to choose where that money then is gifted out from that point on. So you go into a 501c3 and then the 501c3 gifts it to the charity of your choice. And and it's all incredibly integrated and, and super user-friendly and really, really powerful, really, really efficient product for, for gifting purposes. Great description. And just encourage anybody that has you know any interest in that, wants to learn more, we'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, we love having the discussions, especially around giving and really you know, taking your proactiveness and and having an impact on the rest of the world. So hopefully took some good away from today's episode. As always, head over to awminsights.com. We got some downloadable stuff there and we'd love to hear from you. But until next time, own your wealth, make an impact and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. 
To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.